like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are having a fantastic week so far. We have entered Hump Day here on the Logan Blackman Show, and we are got a fantastic, fantastic show. At least I hope so. It's really early in the show right now to tell you how great of a show it's going to be, but we're feeling a little bit confident today here on this August 9th edition of the greatest podcast you've never listened to. Now, let's go over the housekeeping items before we get into the excitement, the joy, and everything that it, it, that it entails in the Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can check out links to all the podcasts and all the video stuff on all those different forms of social media. But most importantly, make sure you follow and or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts and leave a rating out of five stars on both. It can be a five-star rating. It can be a one-star rating. Obviously, I would appreciate a five-star rating a little bit more, but... If you feel the show is not up to your extremely high standards, then you can leave a one-star rating or anything above a one-star rating, just something below a five, but just leave a description down below so then we can work together and how we're going to solve these issues. So we can figure out how we're going to solve these issues of how the show being so catastrophically ass that it, 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 it led you to leave such a horrific rating on the best podcast you've never listened to. Now... We've got some fun stuff today. We had the NFL Top 100 players get released. The final 10 get released last night. We have Hard Knocks kicking off tonight as well. We had the Johnny Manziel documentary on Netflix get released today. We got college football stuff to talk about. The new game just got announced that's going to be coming out next summer. We got more shitty-ass conference realignment stuff to talk about with some teams that we kind of made fun of on Monday, coming back into the fray today, doing something that we didn't think would ever be possible, giving the conference title stipulations that we thought were strictly in place for those certain teams. Well, we'll get to all that in a little bit as well. And we also got Lionel Messi scoring, assisting, winning his first ever penalty shootout at club level. He's never been in a penalty shootout at club level in his entire career. Winning that against FC Dallas in a 4-4 game, it's just going to be an exciting show. It's going to be a very, very exciting show. And we'll start off with the NFL Top 100 Players list because this is something that divides opinions everywhere. Divides opinions everywhere. everywhere. And I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm going to be 100% transparent with you. I did not watch a single episode of the NFL Top 100 Players of 2023. But to my surprise and to everybody else's surprise out there, there were 100 players listed. And out of those 100 players... 0% of people agreed with any of the rankings in this list. Someone had something to say about every single position ranking on this list, and there's going to be people, I mean, it's a list. It's a list, and there's going to be things you agree with and some things you don't agree with, and, and I'm right there. I'm right there. Now, I do think they got the number one and two spots right, because when we were going over the final 10, or the people that got released that were potentially in the final 10, we got the 10 right. We didn't get the order correct. I don't think we even said an order. We might have. I don't remember. But we got number one and two right, and that was Patrick Mahomes and Justin Jefferson. I think those were pretty self-explanatory number one and number two rankings on this list. Patrick Mahomes just came off a Super Bowl victory where he won a Super Bowl MVP controversially. 
I shouldn't say controversially. He won the MVP. He won the Super Bowl, so it makes sense to give him the MVP. And he also won the regular season MVP as well. It just made sense. It made all the sense in the world to make Patrick Mahomes number one. Number two is Justin Jefferson. Again, makes all the sense in the world. Makes all the sense in the world. Dude had an insane season this past year. He led the league in receiving yards. All right, Jefferson keeps getting better. This is what the NFL Network had to say about this. NFL, Justin Jefferson keeps getting better and better in his short career. His league-leading marks in 2022 already placed him 6th and 7th, respectively, all-time receiving yards and receptions in a single season. 1,809 receiving yards with 128 receptions in a single season. With one of the greatest seasons by a wide receiver ever, Jefferson was named Offensive Player of the Year and finished 5th in MVP voting, the highest placing for non-quarterback this year. I mean, he was the only non-quarterback in the MVP race. I understand there were like 20 people that received votes for MVP. Like one, two, first, second, third, fourth, fifth place votes and stuff like that. There were five people. There were five people in the conversation for MVP this year. And Justin Jefferson being not a quarterback, obviously in an unfortunate situation. I'm not going to sit here and say, obviously, and this was the correct decision. No, it, it was a weird one because the NFL... The MVP has kind of just turned into the best quarterback in the league. And then the offensive player of the year is the best player outside of the quarterbacks. Like, it's basically turning, I brought this up, this comparison up before. The MVP trophy in the NFL is kind of like the Cy Young trophy now in baseball. Where you got the Cy Young trophy is only going to pitchers. There is no other player in any position that can win a Cy Young award apart from pitchers. In recent history, that's what it feels like with the NFL MVP trophy. Like, the last person to win an MVP that wasn't a quarterback, I believe, was Adrian Peterson. Is that right? Hold on. Is that right? NFL MVP winners. Because I feel like it's just been dominated by quarterbacks. Yeah, you look all the way back. Like, there's a, a long list of line here to go all the way back. Yeah, Adrian Peterson, 2012. So since 2012, 11 years... 11 or 10 years, because we haven't technically had the 2023 MVP. 11, 10 years, every single one of these winners has been quarterback. It was Peyton Manning. It was Aaron Rodgers, three times in that time span. Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, twice, Lamar Jackson. And we already brought up Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes again. And then you go before that, the last non-quarterback to win since 2012 was in 2006 when LaDainian Tomlinson won the MVP. And then you had Sean Alexander winning the MVP there. And then the early, the late 90s, it was pretty much dominated by running backs. Like, you look at Brett Favre winning it three times in a row. That's fine. That's fine. And then you have co-MVP with Brett Favre in 97 with Barry Sanders. Terrell Davis won it in there as well. Marshall Falk won it in there as well. Emmett Smith won it in there as well. Thurman Thomas led it in there as well. But throughout the entire history of the NFL... There have been only three positions, or four positions, I should say, sorry, that have won MVP. And surprisingly, one of those positions is not wide receiver. I think that might start to come up, become a thing in future times because of the seven-on-seven camps and stuff like that. Now, people will turn to that going, hey, the receivers are doing well, so what's the quarterback doing? This is a similar situation where we have down in Alabama when Devontae Smith won the Heisman. When you have a quarterback like Mac Jones who we all recognize as a game manager at this point, not doing anything particularly special, like Patrick Mahomes, like it's it's going to lead to a receiver winning that, unless the quarterback puts up 5,000 yards and 60 passing touchdowns or something like that. I don't, I like him. I don't really expect Kirk Cousins to do that anytime soon. 
but oh no, there are five positions. There are five. I completely forgot about the fifth one. So you got quarterback, running back. Then you have linebacker, which I'll give you five seconds to guess who that linebacker was. Five, four, three, two, one. It was Lawrence Taylor. It was Lawrence Taylor, the original LT. So we have two LTs winning an MVP trophy. Then the next position we have on here, or it's not the next one, but the first position other than quarterback and running back to win an MVP was in 1971. That was a defensive tackle. I'll give you five seconds to guess that one. Five, four, three, two, one. It was Alan Page. And actually, I need to scroll down and figure out this exactly, but Alan Page only got 21% of the vote. 21%, which as far as I can tell, and I could be missing something completely here, 21% of the vote is the least amount of percentage, lowest percentage an MVP has had in NFL history. Unless, again, I'm completely missing it. I could, I could be completely missing it, and I apologize for that. But yeah, 21% of the vote won it in 1971 for the Minnesota Vikings. The final position. Final position. This was a strike-ridden season. That's why I completely forgot about this one. It was a strike-ridden season. It was Mark Mosley for the Washington Name Redacteds. That the kicker won an MVP. And the best part about it was I think he missed <laughs> some field goals in the playoffs. I don't think he did very well in the playoffs. He didn't have an extremely high like conversion percentage for field goals made. He was not he was just an average kicker. For the strike ridden season, he did all right. Strike short in 1982 season. I just clicked on his Wikipedia page. Mosley competed 23, converted 23 straight field goals from 81 to 82. A record at the time made a league leading 20 of 21 field goals. A then record 95.2 success rate. And was responsible for 76 points. He became the first pace kicker to ever win the Associated Press NFL Most Valuable Player. Hall of Famer Lou Groza would win the Sporting News NFL Player of the Year Award in 1954 as a place kicker and off its tackle, followed by George Blanda winning the same as a kicker and a quarterback in 1970. Mosley had such had a much rougher time in the postseason. That's what we were talking about, missing four field goals in Washington's two postseason games with the Washington's name redacted's 27-17 victory in Super Bowl XVII to the over the Miami Dolphins. Mosley kicked two field goals and was successful on all three of his extra point attempts. During the following season, he led the NFL in scoring with 161 points. He also kicked a game-winning field goal in Washington's 24-21 win over the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game, despite missing four prior field goal attempts in that game. So he's the only kicker to win a MVP. He is nowhere near one of the greatest kickers of all time. Strike shortened season, benefited from that, won a Super Bowl out of it, sucked throughout the playoffs, was only a first-team All-Pro once, and you would guess which year that was. That was when he won the MVP. But yeah, it's crazy. Kicker won an MVP. He was on two other teams before he joined Washington. He was on the Eagles and the Oilers before that. 14th round selection from Stephen F. Austin. NFL MVP. With the greats like Tom Brady. With Marcus Allen. With O.J. Simpson. Lawrence Taylor. John Elway. Thurman Thomas. Joe Montana. Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Barry Sanders, and Mark Mosley put his name up there with the greats. Put his name up there with the absolute stallions of the NFL. Brian Sipe, Cleveland Browns, 1980 MVP. What a great run of MVPs we had here. <laughs> we had Dan Marino MVP in there. Steve Young MVP in there. 
Two Steve Young MVPs in there. Terrell Davis MVP. We already brought him up. Steve McNair, Peyton Manning, co-MVP. Rich Gannon, MVP. Man. But it's it's going to be interesting to see if and when Justin Jefferson ever does end up winning an MVP. Because I saw something on Twitter a little bit ago, like right before we started recording, talking about who's going to win MVP first between Justin Jefferson and Anthony Edwards, the shooting guard for the Minnesota Timberwolves, a very good player in his own right. But I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be hard. I think there's more of a a case for Anthony Edwards just because of the position Justin Jefferson is in. I think Justin Jefferson is more than deserving of an MVP. I'm glad he at least got on the podium. It sucks that he finished, or I say on the podium, at least he got in the final rankings. But fifth for that season he had last year is just a little daunting. And I think it's funny in hindsight. Hindsight's a funny, funny thing. Hindsight's an SOB, ain't it? But the top two players in the NFL top 100 rankings were both taken with picks that the Bills originally had. We had Patrick Mahomes going 10th overall in 2017. That was held by the Buffalo Bills, who traded back with the Kansas City Chiefs to 27, who took trade Avius White. I think that one worked out for both teams. And you got the Justin Jefferson pick. That was pick 22 in 2020. That pick was obviously involved in the Stephon Diggs trade. So it's just crazy to think how things could have been different. Now, who knows? If the Bills would have taken either Patrick Mahomes or Justin Jefferson, had they have had those picks. I think it would have been stupid for the Bills to not take Justin Jefferson at that time. And like the Minnesota Vikings, I don't think they were originally expecting Justin Jefferson to be there. I thought Justin Jefferson was going to be gone before then. I thought he'd not fall past the Eagles pick at 21. And they took Jalen Rager. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. It was like the Bills with Dalton Kincaid this year. A completely different scenario here, but... Somewhat similar in the fact that I didn't think he'd get past a certain team. I didn't think Dalton Kincaid would fall past the Chargers. And the Bills saw that Dalton Kincaid was falling. They're like, hey, we got to trade up to get this guy. So they traded up to get him. But that clip of the Vikings when they realized that the Eagles were taking Jalen Rager, who is now Justin Jefferson's... What is the Viking? Did the Vikings release an official depth chart today? Because a lot of teams were releasing depth charts today. And it's always funny to see with these depth charts where they have the rookies on it. So like the, my, the Atlanta Falcons, their current depth chart has Bijan Robinson as a uh, third string running back. Do you think he's going to be staying at third string running back this entire season? Hell to the freaking no. That ain't going to happen. But as of right now, like Jordan Addison, he's wide receiver four on this roster behind Jalen Naylor. And then obviously KJ Osborne, Justin Jefferson. We, uh, we understand those guys, but Jordan Addison's going to shoot his way up the depth chart, obviously. But Jalen Rager, the guy who was taken one pick before Justin Jefferson, is the fifth string wide receiver on the Minnesota Vikings official depth chart. I'm looking at their website right now. Fifth string wide receiver, taken one pick before Justin Jefferson. At the time, it was seen as dumb. And with hindsight, it's seen as dumb. Thankfully for the Bills, thankfully for the Bills, in hindsight, the pick, if you look at it at face value, you could have had Justin Jefferson and Patrick Mahomes. Not great. I understand that. But I think they made out all right. I think they made out all right. By the end of his career, Josh Allen will be the greatest Buffalo Bills quarterback of all time. If he already isn't, my dad, who is Jim Kelly, ride or die like most Buffalo Bills fans out there, he's even said that Josh Allen is better than Jim Kelly was. And you've got Stephon Diggs, the greatest receiver in Bills history. And looking at what they're doing right now, would Justin Jefferson and Patrick Mahomes both been the greatest quarterback and wide receiver duo in Bills history? Obviously. 
obviously. But, you know, things change, and that's fine. And I'm perfectly content with how things went out, and I'm sure the Vikings and Chiefs fans are perfectly content with how things went out either, without, went out too. Like, I love Josh Allen, and I love Stephon Diggs. I would have loved Justin Jefferson, I would have loved Patrick Mahomes. I respect the hell out of both of them. I think they're more than deserving to be in the top two players in the NFL. Based off what they did last year, it's hard to argue with it. Number three is where it gets a little interesting with Jalen Hurts at three. I understand to a certain extent why Jalen Hurts is three. I understand to a certain extent. Because again, in that Super Bowl, he may have been on the losing team, but I think he should have been Super Bowl MVP. We've said this about a thousand times on the show. But after one real good season for Jalen Hurts where he deservingly came second in the MVP race. And I understand you got to figure out how to fit these four quarterbacks in that all finish in the top 10. You got to figure out a way to organize them. But Jalen Hurts at three, I think that's a little high for his first ever edition of the NFL top 100 list. I think that's a little, little high. My friend Jake, I don't think Jake would put him as the third best player in the NFL. I don't think he would. And that's another thing. Eagles fans, they could have had Justin Jefferson, but they took Jalen Rager. So let's see, again, hindsight's just a, a funny thing. It's a funny thing. And then we got Nick Bosa at four. Understandable. Defensive player of the year, all that. I think Bosa should have been higher. I think Bosa should have probably been three. I think Bosa should have probably been three. And then we got Travis Kelsey, five. Makes sense again. He was fifth last year. So funny how that worked out. Joe Burrow, six. Then you got Tyreek Tyre Hill, seven. Yeah, makes sense. Tyreek Hill's a very good wide receiver. Then you got Josh Allen, eight. Who's up five spots from last year? Or wait, no, 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 no. That's not. I'm Travis Kelsey's up five spots from last. I thought he was at five last year. Okay, I got that. I was reading this wrong. Then you got Micah Parsons nine, Chris Jones ten. Understand all those. If anything, I think Micah Parsons should be a little bit higher. I think Micah Parsons should be a little bit higher. That dude is freaking ridiculous. Did he not receive a single first place post in NFL Defensive Player of the Year? I don't think he did. If I'm remembering right, because I remember there being something really crazy about the NFL Defensive Player of the Year voting. I know he finished second, but did he receive any first-place votes? Because I know Hassan Reddick did for the Philadelphia Eagles, but, well, I don't, I don't remember. I'm not, I don't really, I'm not really that bothered to look it up right now. i got to take a sip of tea right now. <sighs> Some tea. Now, that's not going to be a segue to some drama, dramatization thing, but that being said... With this hundred top 100 players being finally released, we can compare and contrast now. Because remember a few weeks ago, we did the TLBS, the Logan Blackman Show, for those of you who don't know what that stands for, staff quarterback rankings. So like the NFL top 100 list, we asked people from that are associated with the Logan Blackman Show, friends, family members, all that stuff, people that have been on the show before, we asked them, what are their top 10 quarterbacks currently in the NFL? Like this, they ask specific players, and they're like, what are your top 100 players in the NFL? So with this list coming out, there is a decisive list of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL, and there's even more than 10 quarterbacks that made the list. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 quarterbacks that made this list. And on the Logan Blackman Show staff quarterback rankings, there were, I believe, what, 22? Is that what we ended up saying? We got, we got 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 20, 23 quarterbacks. Which one of them, you can include or not include Caleb Williams, but one would expect that when everything's all said and done, he'll be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And I can see why people would put him in there. And we'll talk about Caleb Williams here in a little bit. 
but the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL per the NFL quarterback rankings. This is by players for the players, is what the NFL always says for this thing. Top 100 players in the NFL, quarterbacks. Number one is Patrick Mahomes. Two is Jalen Hurts. Three is Joe Burrow. Four is Josh Allen. Then we got a big gap, and we got Justin Herbert, five. And we got Kirk Cousins, six. Aaron Rodgers, seven. Dak Prescott, eight. We got Jared Goff, nine. And then Lamar Jackson, 10. So that is your NFL top 100 quarterbacks, or top 10 quarterbacks per the top 100 players' rankings. And then after Lamar, 11 is Geno, 12 is Tua, 13 is Justin Fields, and 14 is Trevor Lawrence. So if we're going off, let's look at Logan's list first. Let's look at Logan's list first. So we got Mahomes right. I think that was fairly simple. Again, in the TLBS staff rankings, Mahomes was damn near unanimous in regards to being the number one quarterback in the NFL. Only two people didn't have Mahomes. Zach had Joe Burrow, and my sister had Josh Allen. So you can say bias on that one, but Patrick Mahomes was number one in almost damn near everybody's list. Everybody but two. Then I had Josh Allen, two. He was four per the NFL Top 100. Joe Burrow, three. He was at three. Uh, Lamar Jackson, I had him at four, which we've talked about on the show before, why I have him at four. He was at 10. Justin Herbert, we had at five. He was at five. So we're starting off like good, bad, good, bad, good. Jalen Hurts, six. He was obviously at two. And again, I've def- I've said why I had Jalen Hurts at six. I don't need to try and explain that again, but I understand why he's at two. I have no real issue with that. Brady had him at two. I don't. I'm not going to say anything bad about Jalen Hurts being at two because I understand it. Seven. Trevor Lawrence. Uh, he finished 14th. Not a, not a great look. Aaron Rodgers eight. He finished seven. So close. Kirk Cousins nine. He finished six. That one was the most interesting one. Out of all those NFL top 100 player rankings, out of the quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins being at the sixth spot and it's considered a top 50 player in the NFL. I don't think any Vikings fan would say that. And we asked Vikings fans for their quarterback rankings, and I will tell you where they put them. Jared put Kirk Cousins at nine. He's a diehard Vikings fan. Noah, he put Kirk Cousins at nine. Diehard Vikings fan. There's not a single sane Vikings fan, I would imagine, that put Kirk Cousins at Six. And I defend Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins gets a lot more hate than what he deserves. But six. That it's a little crazy now. I think the quarterback documentary kind of got people looking rose tinted glasses on Kirk Cousins. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about that post that said Kirk Cousins is already a Hall of Famer. Bullshit he's a Hall of Famer. I hate that we're having conversations about who's a Hall of Famer and who's not like with certain players like Kirk Cousins level players. That's not a disrespect to Kirk. To say Kirk Cousins is not a Hall of Famer is not a disrespectful statement at all. I don't even think Kirk Cousins would say he's a, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I don't want to say this as gospel, but not even his own receiver says he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I, I think that makes sense. You would, have, you would have to think that or there would be some people out there who would go like, well, he's his quarterback, so you'd want to make him make sure he's on your good side. But he's also a realist. Understands that uh, probably not. So you got two ways to look at it. There's no real good way you can look at that when you're talking about Justin Jefferson not putting Kirk Cousins in his top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Even Kirk understands it. He understands it. Kirk Cousins' highest spot in this list. Well, actually, Kevin had Kirk Cousins at six. So we'll give Kevin a round of applause. He had Kirk exactly right. Kirk at number six. Anybody else? I know Zach had Kirk Cousins at four. That was the highest one. That was the highest. Even Jared. Again, we had Jared and Brady on the show 
while we were talking about the NFL, the, geez, I keep doing that, the TLBS staff quarterback rankings, Jared even said that was ridiculous. And he's a he's a Viking slash Kirk Cousins fan. He has a Kirk Cousins jersey. Justin had Ju Kirk Cousins at six. We'll give Justin a round of applause as well. Justin's top 10 is kind of close to the top 100 players list as well. But only, how many people had Jalen Hurts too? We had Brady had Jalen Hurts too. Justin had Jalen Hurts too. Who else? Did anybody else really have him at two? Jake didn't have him at Jake. Jake had him at four. Kevin had Jalen Hurts at two. Who else had Jalen Hurts too? Is that it? I think that might be it. Yes, it is. Because looking at the like the rankings, it was pretty definitive, the top three. And I didn't really think there would be a lot of conversations past that. I thought the order of two and three would be interesting. Number one, I thought was definitive. Two and three, I thought you could put it in whatever order. And then four, like I understand, again, why Jalen Hurts is there. But the NFL, gee, I, it's like the 15th time I've done that. The Logan Blackman Show staff combined top 10 list. Reads as followed. Mahomes one, Burrow two, Allen three, Hurts four, Justin Herbert five, Lamar Jackson six, Aaron Rodgers seven, Trevor Lawrence eight, Kirk Cousins nine, Dak Prescott ten. I don't think in a hundred years I would have guessed that Trevor Lawrence would be the 14th rated quarterback in the NFL. And not only that, be ranked behind some of these quarterbacks that are mentioned, i.e. Justin Fields, i.e. Tua, i.e. Geno, i.e. Jared Goff, i.e. Kirk Cousins, i.e. Dak Prescott. All the other quarterbacks that were mentioned on here, I could understand why they were, he was ranked below them. 14th seems a little disrespectful. And I understand to a certain extent, that people would be a little hesitant on Trevor Lawrence because that first half of the season wasn't playing great, and the Jaguars started to turn things around. But that's coming into the whole thing. That's You're you're trying to shed the skin that is the Urban Meyer era. There's going to be some stank still left on that. That With how bad that was, it's going to take a fat-ass minute to get everything completely off you to go, oh, I can be the quarterback that everybody expected me to be, me to be when I want a natty as a freshman in college. And that's what we saw in the latter half of the season. I'm glad he's in the top 100 rankings, but 14th, that's a little, that's a little low. And I understand why, like, Justin Fields is in there. I understand why, too. I understand, to a certain extent, why all these quarterbacks are in here. But, obviously, my list is different. We talked about before, like, I, and no one's going to agree with the top 100 list. There's a lot of players in there. You're going to have biases involved in there as well. Bias is not really my big issue here. Because at the top four, I'm like I'm relatively okay with. Obviously, I would change the order a little bit, but I'm perfectly like content. Everything else is kind of just there. But the NFC, man, like you look at the NFC, like <laughs> this is very generous to the NFC here. This is a very generous list to the NFC here. So obviously, Jalen Hurts is the creme de la creme in the NFC for the quarterback position. Other than that, and Kevin, speaking of Kevin, we brought up his list just a little bit ago. We had Jalen Hurts and Kirk Cousins, right? Comparatively to the top 100 rankings. Obviously, right is subjective, but to the to the rankings, it's right. He sent me a thing this morning. It was a screen, it was a picture from ESPN. I think it was ESPN. It said Geno Smith. Is he the second best quarterback in the NFC? And I can't remember if it was like he is the second best quarterback in the NFC, or can he be the second best quarterback in the NFC? I don't remember the exact wording of the thing, but Per the NFL Top 100 players, he is one, two, three, four. He's fifth. I think there's an argument you can have to have him in the top five for 
top NFC quarterbacks. But that's just the level of the NFC. The AFC is so much further along than the NFC. Like, you look at the combined TLBS staff rankings. Jalen Hurts was at number four. The next NFC quarterback didn't come in until number nine. And that was Kirk and Dak. Dak came in at 10. And they were very definitively 9 and 10. They weren't creeping up into the 8 spot. Like, Kirk Cousins was 20 points behind Trevor Lawrence in the NF- the TLBS staff quarterback rankings. Like, in the top 8, we had one NFC quarterback, and they were definitively 4th with 120 votes. There was 42 spots between them and 3rd. And then there was... Quick math... 18 spots between them and fifth. 122 minus 104. <laughs> That's 18, right? Yeah. So I think there's an argument that can be made. If I was ranking, hold on. If I was ranking the top five NFC quarterbacks, I think, again, Jalen Hurts is definitively number one. I think that's, by at this point in time going into the season, obviously it's subject to change. Because there was a point in time where Carson Wentz was the best quarterback in the NFL. Where before he tore his ACL, his second year in the league, people are talking about him being an MVP. And then now we're seeing pictures of him a couple days ago, rocking an Eagles helmet, a commander's jersey, and Colts shorts. Just begging for a job opportunity. And I wouldn't be upset if the Bills signed him as a free agent to be back up to Josh Allen. I would not be upset about that. Because per what everybody's saying, the backup battle between Josh Allen, or between Kyle Allen, sorry, and Matt Barkley is not going as well as they thought because no one's really separating themselves and they don't feel comfortable naming Matt Barkley as a backup quarterback. They feel fine of him being on the roster and being a friend of Josh. That's about damn it. I don't want to see Matt Barkley on the field for the Bills ever, apart from preseason. I want him to be there in a consultant's role, and that's it. That is absolutely it. I love Matt Barkley, but that is freaking it. I do not need to see him on a field anytime soon for the Buffalo Bills. So if you want to sign Carson Wentz to be Josh's backup, go ahead. You signed Mitch Trubisky. He signed a deal with the Steelers next offseason, was a starter for a hot minute, and then Kenny Pickett came over and took his job, which was what we were all expecting. But if I was ranking, back to the original talking point, if I was ranking the top five quarterbacks in the NFC, I would go Jalen. I mean, we could just use my top ten ranking so you know how I feel there anyways. We got Jalen, Kirk, Dak. That's my top three. And then you get into the little murky water here. Because then you can start asking Logan, who did you think of putting in the top ten? Because that's another conversation. Who did I think of throwing in there? And Justin Fields was one of them. Justin Fields was one of them. If I'm being 100% honest, Justin Fields was one of them. And then the last one, I would probably go Jared Goff. That last spot. And Gino, I feel hard for feel bad for not having him in the top five because I think based off last year he's deserving. I think this year he'll put up really good numbers again. I mean, they just stole Jackson Smith and Jigba at number twenty. They got Zach Charbonnet in the second round, so you got another solid running attack there with Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. We got TK, DK Metcalf. You got Tyler Lockett. You got Noah Fant. Like you've got weapons for Gino, so I expect him again to put up solid numbers. Time will tell if that's going to be the case. And if he caught lightning in a bottle, that could be one thing. But if he can stay consistent, then I expect him to put a good number. So I feel bad for him leaving him out of the top ten, like or top five like that. But Justin Fields and Jared Goff were probably the next two in line for my top ten rankings if I was just strictly looking at NFC quarterbacks. Strictly looking at NFC quarterbacks. If he was healthy, Kyler Murray would have definitely been mentioned in there as well. I really like Kyler Murray. 
I've defended Kyler Murray on the show. I think he's slightly annoying. But I think he's the only reason Cliff Kingsbury had a job for as long as he did. You know what? I might throw Kyler... Ah, no, we're going to keep him out for now. But I do like Kyler a lot. I would say on his day, Kyler is better than Geno. On his day, Kyler is better than Jared Goff. So I put probably Kyler at five then. So I have Justin Fields, Kyler. And this is injured Kyler. Kyler would be number four probably on that. He'd probably be number five. He might be number two. Who knows? I don't. He's not going to number one right now. But I like Kyler a lot. Kyler was once... Once upon a time, considered MVP candidate. So let's not act like Kyler Murray. I know I brought up Carson Wentz earlier, but Kyler Murray has been playing at a good level. He's just been playing for a shit-ass team with a shit-ass coach and shit-ass ownership. So it's kind of hard to be truly successful with that. But going into the season, I'd probably go Justin Fields and then Jared Goff. And then Geno could be at six. And then we're having conversations about, like, I don't know, Daniel Jones. I have Derek Carr going to the Saints. You have other quarterbacks mentioned in there, but I think those are the main five. And speaking of Daniel Jones, I saw something today where he's not doing very well at practice against the Lions. Apparently, he is massively struggling, which I'm not like, you know, color me shocked kind of thing. But I'm I'm intrigued to see how he does this year. Because last year, a lot of people were going on the Daniel Jones hype train, and I understand why. I mean, he plays for one of the biggest brands in the NFL, the New York Giants. You play in that New York market, and you make the playoffs. Not only that, make the playoffs, you beat a 13-4 and Minnesota Vikings team. That people want to question the legitimacy of, but either way, Daniel Jones, a.k.a. Vanilla Vic, dominated in that game against the Vikings, which got him this big old contract that he's got, and it led to a contract dispute with Matt, or Matt Barkley, Saquon Barkley. And Daniel Jones is someone we've defended, from time to time. Do I think he's worthy of that contract? No. But that's the market. That's the market. And then we talk about the Dan Carlton show or Carton show, whatever the hell it's called, where he said Daniel Jones is the best running quarterback in the NFL. He ain't even top five. He ain't even top five. I mean, we've went over that before, too. He ain't even top five. Ain't nowhere near Josh Allen in regards to running the football. Like, I was telling my friends this the other day. Josh Allen's career-high rushing yards is higher than any year Cam Newton ever had rushing the ball. Like, it's crazy. In his last two years, I higher than Cam Newton's career high rushing yards. And you got Jalen, you got Lamar, you got Justin Fields. Kyler's a better running quarterback than Daniel Jones. Well, there's other quarterbacks you could easily throw above Daniel Jones. Anthony Richardson hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet, and we're already talking about him being a better running quarterback than Daniel Jones because I think that's pretty clear to see. But Daniel Jones, again, plays for the New York Giants, a big-ass team, big-ass market. Like, the, the, was it Forbes or Sportico, sorry? Well, he's the most valuable franchise in the NFL. The Giants are, the, according to them, the second most valuable franchise in the NFL. There's going to be a lot of media attention. A lot of the media outlets come from New York City. I understand the Giants play in East Rutherford, New Jersey. But they're going to receive a lot of attention from New York City. And a lot of shows are based in New York City. Daniel Jones is going to be a hot-button issue in New York. And when you see the receivers he's working with, i.e. Isaiah Hodgins, that's pretty much it the remains of Kenny Galladay, he's going to get boosted up and people go, "What? well, he didn't have anybody. And look at the numbers he did put up, which weren't even that great. I think he had 15 passing touchdowns last year. Like Tyra Taylor put those up in Buffalo. I like Tyra Taylor a lot. I love Tyra Taylor. I got a Tyra Taylor jersey. I love him. But I didn't want Tyra Taylor to be the franchise quarterback. I don't know if I feel that same way about Daniel Jones. I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback at this point. I think he's got, again, I think he's got all the potential to be that. 
and Dable's trying to turn him in and play him like he's Josh Allen. We'll have to see if he is that. But you you locked yourself in now. So whatever happens, happens, I guess, at this point. But the rest of the franchises that were listed in this top 10, there some were surprising. I, I don't really know if I'd say some were surprised. I don't know. It's close. But we got the Dallas Cowboys one, not surprising at all. I think the most valuable sports franchise in the world. I, I'm not surprised by that at all. $9.2 billion. Then we got the New York Giants at 7.04. Then we got the LA Rams. Moving to LA boosted them up tremendously. I don't think they'd be this way if they were in St. Louis still. $6.94 billion. Then we got the Patriots, $6.7 billion. The Niners, $6.15 billion. We got the Jets at $6.11 billion. Again, New York market. And I saw this. The Jets and Giants are putting logos in the middle of their field for the first time ever. Like they did the shield in there. That's going to be weird. It's going to be odd. Remember when Iowa first put a logo in the middle of their field? It was weird. It was weird. Number seven, we got the Washington Commanders at $6.05 billion. I mean, they won three Super Bowls. I know Dane Snyder did his freaking best to try and torch any semblance of respect anybody had that for that organization. But they're still a historic franchise in the NFL. And we got the Bears at $6 billion. We got the Eagles at $5.95 billion. And then we got the Raiders at $5.77 billion. I understand they're in a small-ass market, the smallest market in the NFL. Part of me was kind of shocked the Packers weren't included here. I understand why. Again, the market is teeny tiny. But they won a lot of Super Bowls. The Steelers were another one. Won a lot of Super Bowls. Won a lot of Super Bowls. One of the most historic franchises in the NFL. Terry Bradshaw, 4-0 in Super Bowls. Like, I thought that would go for something, but I guess not. But the Bears, again, founding members of the NFL. George Hallis. One of the GOATs got a Super Bowl in there. Not only one of them, but you got a Super Bowl in there. You play in Chicago for third or fourth biggest city in America. But there's not really too many. It was just the fact that, like, the Packers and Steelers weren't in there. And the Raiders going to Vegas. The Raiders are a massive brand anyways. We're talking about, like, worldwide fans. I think the Raiders are definitely up there for one of the most. Same as uh, The Steelers would be up there, too. Cowboys, obviously. I saw something that said the Bills were up there, too. Like, second... Because they got Canada and Russia, I think, on lock. <laughs> but the Niners and Patriots, four and five. You got all Jim Plunkett's teams on here. Jim Plunkett played for the Patriots, Niners, and the Raiders. So it's the Jim Plunkett Bowl. All NFC East teams are in here. All NFC East teams here. The two New Jersey teams in here are in here. Not surprised the Bills aren't in here at all. Who would be the least valuable? Who would be, if you had to guess... Who would be the least value? Would it be the Texans? But they play in Houston, so that'd be a little difficult. The Bengals? Cincinnati? Haven't won anything? Would they be mentioned in there? I know the Bills are probably going to be mentioned up there somewhere too, so don't don't mention the Bills. I already know that one. The Lions? They've never been to a Super Bowl. They've won championships, but pre-Super Bowl era, so those don't count. (laughs) Would they be mentioned up there? Chargers? I, mean, I know they moved to L.A., but is that... Okay, Sportico. I want to see if I could find that. Do they Are they going to be mean to all these different teams? Sportico, most most valuable. Most valuable. I don't care about soccer franchises. NFL. Why was soccer franchise the first one out? Most valuable sports franchises. Okay. This was from today. Okay, or from yesterday. Oh, they didn't list them in here. They didn't list them in here. But the here's the United States... Top teams. You got the Cowboys and the Warriors. Probably the Yankees, Giants, Rams, Patriots, Knicks, Lakers, Niners, and Jets. Those are your biggest franchise. The Bengals were the least valuable franchise. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. Four billion. 
makes sense. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised the Bengals released. I'm not surprised the Bengals released at all. The Bills are definitely in there though. Sportico value rankings. I just want the NFL. Okay, this is just the NFL. Jack, I completely forgot about the Jaguars. Jaguars are at 31. Lions are at 30. Bills 29. Buccaneers 28. They've won two Super Bowls. That's mean. Two of the teams that are in the below them have never been to a Super Bowl before, <laughs> and they've won two of them. I understand the expansion years were not great for them. They got the Cardinals, one of the oldest franchises in the NFL, sucked their entire existence. They've won to one Super Bowl, lost it. And they got the Saints, who were ass, 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 ass until Drew Brees got there. And they got the Browns, who have only been around since 99, so I guess that's fair. If we're, talking, if we're including the pre-team, then that's a little different. Then we got the Colts, 24. The Colts at 24. I understand they're in Indianapolis, but they've they've won a lot. I feel like that, that, that put them above the Panthers, right? I know the Panthers have been to two Super Bowls, but huh? Titans at twenty one, Vikings at twenty, Chiefs nineteen, Packers all the way down at seventeen, Steelers at sixteen. Whoa, okay. Texans are at eleven. Texans are at eleven. That is a uh, wow. That that's the boost of the city right there. That's the boost to see because that franchise ain't done shit. They killed Der- They killed David Carr. Gave Andre Johnson and uh, Andre Johnson nobody to throw him the football. His best quarterback was Matt Schaub, who spent most of his career being a backup in Atlanta, slash losing his starting job in Vegas or L.A. to Derek Carr, L- Oakland. Jeez, third time's a charm. But yeah, I'm not surprised by the Bengals being last. I'm not surprised by that at all. The Bills being down there, I'm not surprised. Lions being down there, I'm not surprised. Jaguars, I just completely forgot about them, so that should make me even less surprised that they're down there. They're close, though. Bengals, get that one Super Bowl for the Bengals, that boosts them above the Jaguars, and the Jaguars would surely be less. They already dropped down one place. The Arbor Meyer era tanked them. Who was the biggest fallers? The Bucks moved four spots down because Tom Brady retired. I'm sure that had a lot to it, do with it. They dropped four. Broncos dropped four spots. They just got bought, too. That's crazy. They just got bought, and they dropped four spots. That's about it. Those are the only ones that dropped four bucks and Broncos. So your name starts with a B. You drop down. Who's the biggest mover going up? Raiders moved up five spots. Dolphins and Falcons moved up four. Anybody else? Lions moved up one. Browns and Colts moved up two. Titans moved up two. So the Panthers did just stayed at 22. The Ravens moved down to 23. The Titans and Ravens just switched spots. The Panthers just stayed still. Panthers just stayed absolutely freaking still. They, they didn't even care. They're like, you know what? We're not gonna move. We're not gonna move. We like where they are. We they've got the most they got the richest owner in the NFL. I don't know if that still stands with the Waltons being there. Richest NFL owners. I didn't think we'd talk about this. I didn't think we'd be sitting here talking about this today. But here we are. Richest owners in the NFL ranked. The Packers. NA. No no net worth. Because <laughs> they don't have an owner. Uh Mike Brown, yeah. Everybody's known that one. Poorest owner in the NFL. Poorest owner. Not even a billionaire, man. They got Art Rooney. Then Mark Davis, yeah. All of his money's tied into the stadium, so yeah. Uh, the McCaskies uh, for the Bears, yeah. Uh, Ziggy Wolf for the Vikings. Michael Bidwell, uh, Strunk. I, I'm finding out owners of these teams. I, some of these owners I've never heard of before. But it also helps I'm not a fan of some of these teams. But Strunk, uh, the Maras for the New York Giants at 24. Maras, 500 million? <laughs> Brokey. 
Uh, Shelia Ford for the Lions, $2 billion. Dean Spanos, nice. Jim Ursay. Jeffrey Lurie for the Eagles. We got Gail Benson for the Saints. The Glazers own Manchester United as well for the Buccaneers. They're way down at 18th. We got the Haslams for the Browns. We got Janice McNair for the Texans. We got, oh, Jed York for the 49ers, sorry. We got Josh Harris, the new owner for the Washington Commanders. We got Steve Biscotti for the Ravens. Uh, The Pagulas for the Bills at number 12. Arthur Blank for the Falcons at 11. Robert Kraft, 10. Uh, Chris Chris and Woody Johnson for the Jets at 9. We got Steven Ross for the Dolphins at 8. Shad Khan from the Jaguars at 7. Number 6, we got Stan Kroenke for the Rams. Jerry Jones for the Dallas Cowboys at 5. The Hunts for the Kansas City Chiefs at 4. Then number 3, so who do we got left? We got the Panthers, we got the Broncos. Who's the big one that I'm completely forgetting about there, too? Is there some big-time owner I'm completely forgetting about? Did we see Seahawks on there? I don't remember. David Tepper's three. Okay. Then we got, okay, there's the Seahawks. Jody Allen, Paul Allen. Not that Paul Allen. But yeah, David Tepper and then the Waltons. Yeah, okay, we knew that one. 59, once once I said David Tepper's the richest, he was... Until the Dolphin, the Waltons came in. But David Tepper was, for a short while, the richest owner in the NFL. Where did they... Because they, they announced Bryce Young as a starting quarterback. What's, is Andy Dalton officially his backup, or is Matt Corral the backup? Or is Matt Corral third string? Panthers released first depth chart. Let's see what it is. Let's see what it freaking is. You're not going to show it to me. That's really cool. Thank you for showing me that. How do I access the depth chart on the stupid website? This is the most ridiculous one. I'm on the Panthers' official website. Making it damn near impossible for me to find the depth chart. There it is. Good Lord. Andy Dalton, Matt Corral. I'm intrigued to see where Matt Corral goes this offseason. Or before the season starts. I'm very intrigued by that. See how well he does in this uh, preseason window as well. Jonathan Mingo. Second round draft pick from Ole Miss. Mentioned as a wide receiver, top wide receiver on here. You got DJ Chark, Adam Thielen, and Jonathan Mingo. Jonathan Mingo. Or uh, Adam Thielen. So he's feeling 10 years younger. Right now, playing with the Carolina Panthers. I think it helps having a rookie quarterback, having a guy that's used to work at, as a DoorDash driver. Oh, my God. DoorDash driver. The Houston Texans, they were leaning towards putting C.J. Stroud as number one quarterback. We'll see if he is officially. Did they release a depth chart today? They did release a depth chart today. C.J. Stroud is QB1 with Davis Mills and Case Keenum there as well. The difference between Case, like Davis Mills and Matt Crowell, which is so weird, I don't know what Davis Mills' trade value will be. I don't know if Dave ba- D- Davis Mills will just be like Don Strock for the Miami Dolphins. When he's back up to Bob Greasy, and then he drafted Dan Marino, just the backup to Dan Marino there too. Is he gonna just gonna be like that guy? For those of you don't know, who Don Strock is Don Strock played like a hundred years in the NFL, was a starter like three times, and played for the Dolphins and Browns. Like he was backup all over the like. He was a freaking worldwide, and I say worldwide, loyal to the soil backup quarterback. Uh, Davis Mills, is he going to be that guy? Who knows? He could just be C.J. Stroud's backup forever. And we got the Colts. Did they release a depth chart today? Because this won't be interesting if they release a depth chart. I did see the Titans had um, Malik Willis as QB2, which I'm not terribly surprised by that. Quarterback is blank. Wow. Quarterback is blank apart from... Sam Ellinger is the backup. <laughs> we know we know Sam Ellinger's on here. We know Sam Ellinger's going to be on here. But, man, they don't have... Wow. 
They don't have Richardson. They don't have Gardner Minshew there. I'm very intrigued to see how that one wins out. Obviously, I would want Richardson to start week one, but, you know, that could change with time. If he doesn't end up starting week one, he will start eventually this season. But the Titans listing Malik Willis as QB2, I was very happy about. Because remember a couple weeks ago, we said the winner of this battle gets number seven. Because Malik Willis currently has seven. Will Levis wear number eight? So how do you balance this if Malik Willis earns this backup spot? Do you trade him? The Lions were a team I always wanted Malik Willis to go to. But (laughs) Malik Willis, uh, the Lions just signed Teddy Bridgewater. So I don't really think that's going to be a possibility, which is a weird tactic. Is Hendon Hooker just that injured? Because I feel like signing Teddy Bridgewater, I I don't really understand the move, to be 100% honest with you. I would have loved to see him sign with the Bills. I would feel a lot more comfortable with him being Josh's backup than Kyle Allen. I understand Kyle Allen and Josh Allen and Matt Barkley, they're all friends. But uh, Josh gets hurt, they're screwed. So we'll see how that one goes. Maybe they'll trade for Malik Willis. I don't know. I really liked Malik Willis coming out of Liberty. I have a Liberty shirt because I like Malik Willis so much. But it's it's going to be interesting how this battle plays out. Malik Willis is number two. They've seen a glaring improvement, which is expected from a young quarterback going to year two. Shows how committed they are. And Malik Willis, from everything you could tell in the draft process last year, that he's a committed dude. So, him coming into the season gra- drastically improved, showing glaring improvements per Vrabel, is not too surprising for me. We'll see how Will Levis handles this, how he handles being third string. Who knows? Josh Allen owned in his rookie season as a third string quarterback, too, by Nathan Peterman and AJ McCarron. So there's worse quarterbacks to be behind your rookie year than Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis. Could be way worse for you. Could be way worse for you. Then another quarterback battle, which we've talked about recently with Trey Lance, uh, update the 49ers list QB2 on their official depth chart. As Lance or Darnold. Brock Purdy's QB1. We kind of expected that at this point. Lance or Darnold is QB2 for the San Francisco 49ers. Two third overall picks sitting behind pick 275 or whatever the hell Purdy's pick was. I think it was like 262. I don't remember. Well, Lance managed to beat out Sam Darnold with the backup spot during preseason. Some reports says say he's been the better QB in camp so far. And I love going on Twitter or X, whatever you call it. And seeing responses to tweets like this, because you will get glaringly different, impro- different. I almost said glaring improvements, like Malik Willis. You'll get glaringly different opinions about this. You'll see completely different takes on this. The first one up here, pretty wild that they gave up for Trey. Gave up for Trey. What they gave up for Trey. He might be the biggest bust in league history. That's the first response. That. T- <laughs> That's the first response. Pretty wild what they gave up for Trey. He might be the biggest bust in league history. They gave up a lot for Trey. But to write a dude off to four starts, with one of them where he broke his ankle, the other one in a monsoon, that's kind of crazy to write him off that that awesome, that that early. And then the other guy, next guy responds, uh, Sam Rand has three terrible QBs. And then one other guy says, that Trey Lance hype train has fallen off cliff these days. No, I'm not. I'm not driving the train anymore. I was at first. I'm not really driving that train anymore. But I ain't writing him off. I'm not calling him one of the biggest busts in league history right now. Like right now, we're saying you're August eighth. Preseason hasn't even started yet, and you're talking about Trey Lance being the biggest bust in league history. We'll have to see. The jury is still very much out on that. I again, I wanted to go to the Falcons or Vikings. I've been very clear on that since Brock Purdy initially got the starting job. 
The Falcons or Vikings? I wanted him to go to the Falcons in the draft process. Fourth overall, that's where I wanted him to go, was the Atlanta Falcons. If Desmond doesn't work out, Trey Lance would fit perfectly with what Arthur Smith wants to do. And there's already a rapport there. There's already a rapport there. The Vikings, that's just because he's from Minnesota. Kirk Cousins on the last year of his deal. I would imagine he signs a one-year deal after this year, and he just plays in a bunch of one-year deals after that. And then you have Lance in place for when Kirk finally decides to hang it up or finally decides to leave. I don't know. I'm not giving up on Trey yet. I do not want to give up on Trey because I think he's insanely talented. Insanely, insanely talented. But it's it, it's it's becoming harder and harder to try and defend what's going on with Trey. It is. Because he's not he hasn't really gotten a chance. But you can't really say anything other than that. He just needs to go somewhere else. Shanahan's ideal quarterback is Brock Purdy. The way Brock Purdy has been playing the NFL, not Brock Purdy at Iowa State, Brock Purdy now is the ideal quarterback for Kyle Shanahan. Someone that would just give the playmakers the ball and not try to do too much with the ball in his hands. Iowa State brought Purdy. That guy did that. Iowa State brought Purdy, tried to do too much like 99% of the time. Because when you're at Iowa State, most of the time, if you're a good player, you are already the best player on the team. There's not really a debate about it. This era of Iowa State's a little bit different than like past eras, like when I was growing up. But Purdy was the the guy at Iowa State. You had Brees Hall, you had Will McDonald there as well, but Purdy was the guy. So Purdy would try to do too much at times. that get him into a lot of problems. Like, no one's more surprised that brought Purdy success in the NFL than Iowa State fans. And that's talking to a lot of Iowa State fans about this. They're surprised by how good he's playing in the NFL. People are like, well, how'd this guy fall so far in the draft? I was surprised he was taken to be 100% honest with you, let alone be the last pick in the draft, especially to a team that drafted a guy third overall the draft previously. And it looks like it's worked out for him. It's like the Washington name redacted <laughs> when they drafted RG3 second Kirk Cousins later in the draft. Didn't make any sense, especially when you already had like Jimmy Garoppolo there as well. Didn't make any sense. But it seems to have worked out for him at this point. I know they're taking a lot of loss, or big L, in regards to what they gave up, when you look at what the Miami Dolphins have been able to do with said picks that they received for that draft pick, but, you know, it's whatever. We'll have to wait and see how everything shakes up. And speaking of shaking up, the running back situation in the NFL still doesn't look like it's shaking up anytime soon, or hasn't really made any movement, other than the fact that Delvin Cook, we don't think he signed with the Jets anymore, at least that's what it doesn't seem like it, because there seems to be differing opinions about what his role is going to be with the Jets, because they just drafted Brees Hall last year, who was going to be, speaking on the Iowa State people, probably was going to be Rookie of the Year before he tore his ACL against the Broncos. That's what it was looking like. He started to pick up steam. He started to get a firm grasp of the offense. They started to have more faith in him. You had a shit-ass team as a quarter, had no quarterback. They just released Chris Strebler, which was a sad time, which is a sad time. I'll never forget Chris Strebler's time with the Jets when he came in against the Jaguars, and he threw one of the worst balls down the middle of the field, wide-ass open receiver, who had to dive to get the ball, backwards, the whole stadium stood up and cheered him on. It was the worst throw I've ever seen get a standing ovation, but that's how bad the quarterback situation was for the Jets last year. But apparently there's a disagreement on the role for Dalvin. Makes sense. I wouldn't have signed Dalvin if I was the Jets because I have Brees Hall. That's just my opinion. I think Dalvin's a great running back. I think he's a very good running back. But for the money he's going to be requesting, because he was a top top back in the NFL in his time in Minnesota, and now you're going to a team who has a guy they think could be the next best guy or one of the best guys in the NFL, given time. I understand he's coming off a torn ACL, but I would expect him to hit the ground running at the start of the season, right? And Dalvin would 
potentially hinder his development that a little bit. So now they're talking to Zeke, who had, at one point was a very good running back in the NFL. Hasn't been a very good running back in many years, but a solid running back, solid third down option, solid guy that can get you a yard. So they've been talking to Dalvin Cook now. And then I saw something earlier today that said Kareem Hunt's going to the Saints. Psych! Kareem Hunt is going to the Colts. Apparently the Colts came in with an offer right after the Saints did, right before he even took down, touched down with the Saints. Because Alvin Kamara got a three-game suspension for his altercation in Vegas like two years ago at the Pro Bowl. So we're watching carefully the Alvin Kamara situation. You're figuring out who you want to sign in fantasy, draft fantasy. You got Jamal Williams there. You got Kendra Miller there as well. You got Kareem Hunt there. So you got a lot of running backs in this spot if he was to sign with the Saints. But again, it looks like he's going to sign with the Colts because Lord knows what's happening with the Jonathan Taylor situation. And with that signing, with Kareem Hunt potentially signing with the Saints, I know I said he's probably going to sign with the Colts, but this graphic I saw is why I'm bringing this up. Anthony Barr is signing with the Saints. At least that's what we're hearing. Anthony Barr signing with the Saints, which is freaking hilarious. So I gave my Vikings friend shit for many, many years because there was there, I had a lot of time to kill. I had a lot of time to kill. Like between the Vikings and Bills last two games, there's a lot of time. Josh Allen's a freaking rookie and the second ever start the first time the Bills and Vikings played under Josh Allen. And now we're in year five of Josh Allen. Completely different player, completely different state of the teams. Maybe not so much for the Vikings, because the Vikings were considered, at that point, to be a very solid team. At least when they played the Bills that week. I don't remember what they finished that year. But that was the game, famously, where Anthony Barr jumped, got jumped over by Josh Allen. Anthony Barr played with the Vikings those next few years. Bills and Vikings are scheduled to play again. Anthony Barr signed for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, okay, that's fine. Signs for the Dallas Cowboys for a year or whatever. Guess who the Bills are playing this year? The Dallas Cowboys. So Anthony Barr decides, I'm not going to renew. I'm going to go to the Saints. He, every time he plays the Bills, he's got to go somewhere else. He cannot play the Bills again. Because Josh Allen is if <laughs> he's probably more athletic than what he was when he was a rookie. And he's hurdled more people since Anthony Barr. So you don't think he'd be number two on that list? Like, you know, the, a few years ago, Budweiser released a thing where they sent uh, an individual Budweiser with a number on it for each goalkeeper Lionel Messi scored a goal against. So you do that for Josh Allen hurdling people. Anthony Barr has the distinct honor of being there twice. I don't know if he's hurdled two people, more the same person twice before, but Anthony Barr sure as hell making sure he's not the first one potentially that that happens to. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. The Bills don't play the Saints this year. Bills don't play the Saints this year. They played them two years ago on Thanksgiving. They don't play them this year, but they play the Cowboys. So Anthony Barr was like, I ain't going to be there. Like You remember that Magic Johnson quote? I ain't going to be there. That's Anthony Barr. He ain't going to be there when the Bills and Cowboys play on December 17th. He ain't going to be there. Jeez, the Bills got a freaking chaotic few weeks. I'm looking at the schedule right now. You got the Eagles on the road, then a bye week, then the Chiefs on the road, then the Cowboys. That's a rough, that's a rough four weeks. Thankfully, the bye's in there. Then you got the Jets on the 19th, too. Play the Broncos on Monday Night Football. Chase, easy first part of the schedule. Easy first part of the schedule. Like, when Brady and Jared and I were going over the schedule, the Bills' first part of the season is, like, if they don't go undefeated until, like, week nine, I would be kind of surprised. I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if they lost, like, the Jets at in New Jersey. I wouldn't be too shocked by that. But you got the Jets week one, Raiders, Commanders, Dolphins, Jags in London, Giants, Patriots, and then Bucks. 
call me biased all you want. I would be kind of shocked if they didn't go through that stretch undefeated. So that's eight wins right there. So for all these people that are saying the Bills are going to go nine and eight and miss the playoffs, that's eight. That's borderline eight guaranteed wins right there. The Jets game, fine. You can say that's you can say different about that one. The Dolphins one, sure. Maybe you could say something like that, even though Josh Allen's lost only twice to the Dolphins his entire career. Maybe you could say something about that one. They should go through their 8-0. If they're as good of a team as I think they are, they should go through their 8-0. Then we got Week 9 against the Bengals. Different story. That could be a little tough one. It's in Cincy, too. And they got the Broncos. Hopefully they're motivated against the Bengals because they got shit on the playoff game, so hopefully they're a little motivated. They got the Broncos and the Jets again, the Nat Eagles, at Chiefs, and Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins. So you got a rough end of the season. Those first eight weeks, that's cake. That's barbecue chicken. That is easy as hell. And you got a long break between the Buccaneers and Bengals game. You play on Thursday night against the Broncos. So you got like a week and a half before you have to play the Bengals. Take that. Like, good Lord. So yeah, eight, nine wins for the Bills. I'm sorry. I could You could call me biased. I don't care. Looking at that first eight games, if they go anything... The worst they can do through those eight games is six and two. You're not telling me they're not going to get three more wins the rest of the year. They play the Broncos in there. They play the Patriots in there. Like, just even if we're doing worst case scenario, worst case scenario for the Bills is eight wins. Worst case. Because they're beating the Raiders. They're beating the Commanders. They're beating the Jags. They're beating the Giants. Beating the Patriots. Beating the Bucks. Beating the Broncos. And they're beating the Patriots again. And that's me just being like, those are guaranteed wins. In my opinion. That's guaranteed wins. I think they're guaranteed to beat the Dolphins. I think they're guaranteed to beat the Jets. I think they're guaranteed to beat the Chargers. But there's different games in there that can make it a little difficult. Maybe maybe to you. Maybe to you. To me, no. But again, call me a biased fan. I don't really care. That's what I'm supposed to do to a certain extent. Because I see like graphics on Twitter, the most the most loyal fan bases. I don't remember which one saw tweeted this a little bit ago, but uh, what's what was the Twitter account? It was like an Otzelberger fan account for Iowa State. Otz. What, how do you spell Otz? Is it O-T-Z? O-T-T-Z? Captain TJ Ott. That's what it was, right? No, 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 no. It wasn't this guy. He didn't have 18,000 followers. TJ Ott. TJ Otzelberger basketball. Follow TJ Otzelberger. No, he had a... He had his, like, a different... It wasn't full TJ Otzelberger picture. It was like he was in the picture. Real TJ Otz. I found it. I found it. Cyclone fan. He quote tweeted this. This is how I saw this earlier. Where the hell is he? Dude tweets a lot. College football report. College football fan base tears. I always find these interesting. I always find... Because how the hell do you know? How do you know all these fan tiers? Uh, best of the best. LSU, Notre Dame, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State. How do we know they're the best? How do we know they're the best? I don't know. Loyal like no other. Nebraska. Unfortunately. Yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. We know that one. Auburn. Duh. I've never met an Auburn fan in my life. So I, I cannot tell you that. I cannot tell you that at all. Iowa. I know some Iowa fans that are definitely like that. I know some Iowa fans that are not. Like it's loyal standing by the team. And I he the reason I saw it, he quote tweeted this and said, where was it? Iowa State fans are some of the most loyal fans out there. Iowa State, for those of you who didn't know, we're in mid. I that's a little crazy. 
I think mid's a little crazy. They should be in the non-existent. No, <laughs> they should be. They should be loyal like no other. Iowa State has been ass like ninety percent of my life. Ninety percent of my life, Iowa State has been absolutely atrocious. Troy Davis, one of the greatest players in Iowa State history, back-to-back two thousand yard seasons, runner-up in the Heisman Trophy race. I think won five games. His two thousand yard seasons, at Iowa State, two two thousand yard seasons, at Iowa State. I think they won like combined five games. You got a gr- legendary player. Doing a feat that not a lot of players can say they've done back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons for an ass team. Ass team. I watched uh, freaking Gene Chizik coach that team. Gene Chizik coached Auburn and won an Addy somehow. Or we know somehow. He had Cam Newton. But won an Addy. Iowa State fans had Gene Chizik, and they're in mid. Auburn's in the loyal like no other. I think you should put Iowa State up to loyal like no other because of the fact they had to suffer through Gene Chizik at Iowa State. Followed by Paul Rhodes, who was only known for beating Iowa. Pretty much it. And then having the so proud to be your coach type thing. Beat Nebraska. And Matt Campbell, who's here now. And we know Matt Campbell now. But Iowa State should definitely be higher. Definitely be higher. But his tweet was like, Iowa State some of the most loyal fans out there. I agree. You can't argue that, period. Yeah, you can't. It's true. That's what I think. Like, how do you make this tier list? How do you know? Because if you did know, Iowa State would be a lot higher than mid. That that'd definitely be higher than mid. And then on the other hand, Iowa booed their starting quarterback and OC last season. Does booing your team make you loyal? Just saying. So I've brought this up before on the show to that talking point. Because that's going to be the main thing people focus on. You booed your quarterback. You booed your OC. It's like the similar situation. Like if you have a family member. You have a family member, okay? Because a lot of people out there, football, and especially college football, and their college football team they support, are like family. It's like your religion. A lot of people, college football is their religion. If you have a family member that's doing something stupid, or a friend that's doing something stupid, someone you care about is doing something stupid, are you going to sit there and just support them throughout the entire thing? Or are you going to get pissed off and go like, hey, stop doing that? You're still going to be there before them, but you're going to be pissed off and go like, hey, stop doing that. Stop smoking that crack. That's a bad look. You should not do that. It's unhealthy. It's really bad for you. Or are you going to go, ah, it's not, he's not hurting me. He's not hurting me. He's fine. He's just living. He's living his life. Who am I to tell him to stop doing crack? I, hey, that's on him. That's his decision. No, you're going to tell them to stop doing it. If you see something you don't like with a family member or someone you care about, them doing something stupid that's detrimental to their your health and their health, you're going to tell them about it. So booing the worst quarterback in Iowa history, which I think he got a lot. I'm glad. I, I respect Petrus for like going to the media and talking to them all, all about stuff, answering all the questions. I respect the hell out of him for that. But he still was bad. He was still bad. Brian Ferentz sucks at his job. Everybody's aware of that. If it's detrimental to their health and our health, to the Iowa program, having those two together was bad for the program. That team wasted a generational defense and a generational special teams. Because the offense was worse passing the ball than triple option schools. Like, that's bad. You're going to tell them about it. Are they going to change it? Who the hell knows? Probably not. But you're going to let them know about it. There's, you're still going to come back. You're still watching. I watched every Iowa game last year. You're still going to come back and watch it. It's like a form of Stockholm Syndrome. Like you're going to come back and watch it, but you're going to let them know. This is stupid. Quit doing that. So I would say that makes you more loyal, right? <laughs> and Iowa State hasn't had bad. They've been bad our entire life. So everything now is just like delusions of grandeur. Everything else is beautiful. 
This team went from winning two games to winning the Fiesta Bowl. When their biggest accomplishment was knocking Iowa to the national championship race in 2 Now they're beating Iowa and playing big-time bowl games and going to the Big 12 championship game. You've been bad for so long, everything post that is beautiful. I always think Iowa State fans are insanely loyal. I respect the hell out of Iowa State fans for being insanely loyal. But bringing up the booing of a quarterback and coach, that's not really something I would classify as being disloyal because you're still showing up. If you're going like, man, I am never wearing an Iowa shirt again. I'm never, I'm burning all my Iowa stuff until Brian Ferentz and Spencer Peters never play for this team again. Then you're stupid. Then you're stupid. I, I hate those videos of people burning jerseys. That's so dumb. That's so stupid. I hate that. Burning the mer- Like, if you're doing that, that's not loyal. That's not loyal. If you're going, man, if you keep doing crack, I'm never talking to you again. That's not loyalty. That's different. That's you being stupid. If you say, hey, stop doing crime. I'm going to support you while you're being stupid. I'm going to let you know you're being stupid. Let's try to figure this out together. That's what this is. That's what booing, like, it's not great. Face value, not great. When you have someone you care about, you're going to let them know a little bit harsher than someone that you don't really care that much about. At least that's how I view it. And again, I respect the hell out of Petrus for answering all the media's questions and stuff like that, but I don't think that's a definitive argument for being loyal or disloyal and stuff like that. I mean, if you're doing that and then burning your stuff and never watching an Iowa game again, then that's different. That's you not being loyal. I think both fan bases are extremely loyal. I've seen Iowa fans defend Iowa for the dumbest shit ever. I think they deserve to be up there too. Iowa State definitely deserves to be up there, but Iowa State above Iowa in that regard because of the fact Iowa State's been ass my entire life. So I put them a little bit higher, but I don't know how you know who, like, good overall, Alabama? Alabama's not a good fan base. Alabama sucks as a fan base. For everything I could tell about Alabama's fan base, I would love to go to an SEC game. I would never go to an Alabama game unless they were playing, like, Georgia, Auburn, Florida, Florida, like, those teams. I would never go to an Alabama game other than those guys. I can go to Iowa versus Utah State and go to a sellout game. I can do that. I cannot do that at Alabama. They play someone like Florida A&M Week 10. That place is not going to be sold out. It's going to be relatively empty. In a 100,000-seat stadium, it's going to look freaking empty when 40,000 people are there. They are not a good fan base. No, drop them all the way freaking down. All the way down. Like non-existent, I would put them in mid. I don't know if I put them all the way down and non-existent, but put them in mid for sure. Texas, or no, you could probably, uh, I don't know. Nebraska, oh, I didn't even know this was a category. Nebraska, straight up annoying. Put them straight down and straight up annoying. Straight up annoying. Notre Dame can go the same thing. You already got Texas in there. Tennessee, Oregon, uh, is Oregon annoying? I guess I've never even told. Clemson? Is Clemson annoying? Michigan State? Out of my experience at Iowa games, I would put, like, Minnesota in annoying. Nebraska, definitely annoying. Wisconsin. Minnesota. Or, uh, Michigan State. I've been to an Iowa-Michigan State. I've been to a couple Iowa-Michigan State games. I don't really have... Unless I'm really forgetting about something. I, you know, the, I know a lot of Iowa fans don't like Michigan fans. Best of the best, though. How do you decide if LSU, Notre Dame, Georgia, Ohio State, and Penn State are the best of the best? How do you know that? How do you know that? Mid, like, Missouri. I don't even know Missouri had fans, to be honest. I went to William Penn with a few people from Missouri. None of them cared about Missouri football or basketball or anything. They're non-existent. I... Out of, like, the hundred of Missouri people that were on our football team alone, 
None of them were Missouri fans. That they're non-existent. They're from Missouri. They're from that area. They're, no one is Missouri fans. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. They didn't even bother throwing Kansas in here. TCU's in mid. Uh, being from Iowa, never mind a TCU. But Noah, he liked TCU for a little bit, but AM, I mean, I don't know. They sell out a 100,000-seat stadium. I just watched the Johnny Manziel documentary, but I don't know if I put them in mid. Oklahoma State, never met Oklahoma State. In North Carolina, basketball is a little bit different than football, obviously. Football, I'd borderline throw them in non-existent. Non-existent, though, Boston College, Maryland, Vanderbilt, Northwestern, UCF, Stanford, Cal, UCLA, and USC. US, UCLA, I think you could throw in non-existent because you see some of their games that they have at the Rose Bowl. USC, you definitely have to throw up. You could throw them in mid. They, they exist. USC fans definitely exist, but you never hear anything from them. I, I knew more USC fans at William Penn in Oskaloosa than I did Missouri fans. And I knew so many more people from Missouri than California at William Penn. There are no such thing as Missouri Tigers fan. There are no such thing. So putting them in the same category as Iowa State is disrespectful to Iowa State by a lot. But yeah, the, the Penn State, Ohio State, Georgia, Notre Dame, LSU, how are they the best? I, I can say Georgia fans are pretty... I knew a few Georgia fans at William Penn, ironically. I didn't know a few Georgia fans at, Notre, at William Penn. But yeah, those Pac-12 schools, you got they're pretty much non-existent out there. You got Utah in good overall. Where's BYU? BYU I put in good overall. Just with how their atmosphere is. They have no alcohol at that stadium, and that place is bouncing every night game. They're put as one of the best night sta- night game atmospheres in college football, and I think that's rightfully so. It's very rightfully so. Now, with these fans getting thrown around, or like the loyal fans, we'll see how loyal they are when you're traveling cross-country for games. Now, this will test the loyalty here. So this is where you throw in the USC fans, UCLA fans being non-existent when they go play Northwestern and Rutgers and stuff like that. That will tell you how non-existent they are. I think you'll get a lot of USC fans at a game at Rutgers. I don't think you'll get any UCLA fans at any of these games. But here's the distance and air arrival times for Arizona State, and this is the Big 12. In the Big 12, compared to the Pac-12, Arizona's would be similar, and there's not that much difference. So, here we go. This is for Arizona State, who were, were they mentioned in here? I didn't even see if Arizona State and Arizona were mentioned in this thing. I don't think they were. I've never met an Arizona or Arizona State fan, so I'm not surprised. But yeah, they're not in there. So, average time for Pac-12 schools without LA. Without LA. So, Arizona, drive. This is for Arizona State again, reminder. It takes an hour and 41 minutes to drive to Arizona from Arizona State. You can't fly there. It just drives there. To Cal, drive, it takes 11 hours. Air travel... It's two hours and 31 minutes. That's to Oakland. Then you take a bus to Berkeley. Colorado has a 12-hour drive. That's a two-hour, 36-minute flight to Denver. Oregon, that's an 18-hour, 25-minute drive. That's a three-hour, eight-minute flight to Eugene. Oregon State and Corvallis, 19 hours, seven-minute drive, three hours, 32 minutes to the Portland airport. Stanford, 10 hours, 52 minutes. It's actually the second shortest or third shortest drive past Arizona. That's a two-hour, 35-minute fight. That's to San Francisco. Utah is a 10-hour, 20-minute drive. Again, second shortest drive. Two hours, six minutes to Salt Lake City. Washington, 21 hours, 23 minutes. Longest drive by far. By far. 
Two hours longer than the drive to Washington State. Three-hour, 34-minute flight, though, because you're going to Seattle. And Washington State, it's a four-hour, six-minute flight, which is the longest flight there, to GEG. Don't know what the hell that means. What is GEG? Don't know. But the average air travel time is two hours, 52 minutes. Not bad. Not bad at all. The average drive time, and again, you got one in-state school, but 13 hours, 55 minutes. That's average drive time. Now, let's look at the Big 12 with a much larger sample size as well. Much larger sample size. So you got Arizona. We already brought them up. You got Baylor. 16-hour drive. 16-hour drive. That would already put us in fourth longest for the Pac-12. Already put us there. Four hours, four-minute flight to Austin. BYU, nine-hour drive. Two hours and 38 minutes to Salt Lake City. Cincinnati, as a 26-hour drive, we have now surpassed our longest drive of the day, 26 hours, zero minutes. So exactly 26 hours. So over a day, four hours, two-minute flight to Cincinnati. Colorado, we already talked about them. Houston, 18 hours, 50 minutes. Three hours, 60-minute flight to Houston. Iowa State's a 21-hour drive. Just shorter, ironically, the drive to Ames is just shorter than the drive to Seattle, Washington from Arizona State. So 21 hours, 17 minutes, 21 hours, 23 minutes to Seattle, and it's a three-hour, 42-minute flight to Des Moines. Plus the three hour or three hour four half hour ah from the airport probably an hour long drive to Ames, maybe a little less than that maybe about forty five minutes fifty minutes. The Des Moines airport's on the south side of Des Moines, so it's a little it's a little bit of a trek, but you get there in decent time. And then you got Lawrence, Kansas, seventeen hours forty three minutes three hour thirty five minute flight to MCI. I don't know what MCI means, but Kansas State, Manhattan, Kansas, sixteen hours fifty eight minutes. Four-hour, 25-minute flight. Oklahoma State, 14 hours, 53 minutes. So the rest of them are kind of similar around there. Then we get to Florida. South Florida, Central Florida, sorry. 31-hour drive. Because that makes sense for conference realignment. 31-hour drive, four-hour, 53-minute flight. West Virginia, 30 hours and zero minutes. Five-hour, 28-minute flight. So the longest flight is five hours, 28 minutes. Because you're flying to Pitt. Flying to Pittsburgh. Five hours. That is the longest flight by far. The average time for all schools is 16 hours, 57 minutes. The average time, but that's drive time. Average time without UCF in West Virginia, 14 hours, 51 minutes. Then you got the average flight time for all schools, 3 hours, 27 minutes. And 3 hours and 10 minutes for average drive or flight time, sorry. So just a few, you know. A little bit off. You got three hour difference in flight, three hour two minutes difference in flight, and you got about forty five minute different drive time combined. But you don't have to drive all the way to freaking South Florida, Central Florida, sorry, to Orlando and Morgantown, West Virginia. And the best part about all this conference realignment stuff, sticking with the Pac twelve because they're the conferences slowly dying, slowly but surely dying. Stanford and Cal. Remember we talked about this on Monday. With conference realignment, with all these teams changing conferences and stuff like that. We got Arizona, Arizona State and Utah going to the Big 12. We had Oregon and Washington join the Big 10. We've had Florida State and Clemson rumored to join the Big 10. We have Stanford and Cal, potentially, I don't know how true this is, potentially joining the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, for those of you ge- geography wizards out there, Stanford and Cal are located in California. Famously located along the West Coast. Famously next to the Pacific Ocean. 
May I remind you what the ACC stands for? The Atlantic Coastal Conference. So you are going literally coast to coast to play conference games. I understand you make a lot of money. I understand you're making a lot of money by doing this. Especially with Florida State leaving, Clemson potentially leaving. Got a lot of money on the table there. ACC's trying not to meet the same face Pac-12. They're going to try and take Notre Dame there as well. Lord knows if that happens. Still evaluating. ACC presidents meet. Still evaluating Stanford to Cal. There's a quick and simple answer to that. Uh, no. No. That it should not happen. No. Will Notre Dame join Cal, Stanford, and Tosh join ACC? Notre Dame should, but they won't because it's Notre Dame. They're too good for conferences. They joined the ACC one year because they were forced to because of COVID. Went to the ACC championship game, though. Lost to Clemson in that game, though. But Stanford and Cal, again, famously on the West Coast, famously along the Pacific Ocean, is about to join the Atlantic Coastal Conference. They would have to play Miami down in South Florida. How long is the drive from, what's what's further up, Stanford or or Berkeley? Cor, uh, what's, what's farther? Stanford or Berkeley? So Berkeley is, Berkeley looks further north. Okay, so we'll look Berkeley... Berkeley to Miami, because that's where they're going to have to play Miami, because Miami's in the ACC. If Miami leaves, that'd be a different story. Berkeley to Miami. Car time is just, just under. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It is 44 hours via drive, Miami to Berkeley. 44 hours. The longest drive in the Big 12 for Arizona State is 31 hours. 44 hours. A day and 20 hours it would take to get to Miami from Berkeley. I don't know what the flight time would be. Oh, the flight time on a nonstop flight from JetBlue is 5 hours, 29 minutes. American nonstop would be 5 hours, 44 minutes. Spirit with connecting would be four nine hours forty five minutes plus. American connecting would be eleven hours twenty three minutes plus. Not a lot of people are making the Berkeley to Miami trek. It seems like forty four hours to Berkeley to Miami. Where is Stanford to Miami? Let's see what that would be. Stanford to Miami is a forty four hour drive as well. Nice. Forty four hours. What's a walking time there? There's got to be. Uh, 1,027 hour walk. <laughs> what about BC Clayton? What about riding your bike? About two hours, 285 hours. Is there a train? Is that a train or bus? I don't know what that transit. What is this? This is the weird two hours, two days, 22 hours. Okay. We have 44 hours from Stanford to Miami. Miami Airport to Stanford University. See all options. What is the price of this? Or seven hours, 24-minute flight from Stanford to Miami. So, yeah, not uh, not really the most ideal for your conference rivalry game, which, like, the Big 12 with BYU and Iowa State, that's going to be your guaranteed locked-in rival, which I think is awesome. But, yeah, this, this is awesome. I saw them joining the AAC, which I guess doesn't have a coast aligned with it because the AAC – Kind of be from anywhere. Kind of be just be from anywhere in the AAC. 
Like, <laughs> that's, I mean, you've got some teams that are, you know, kind of close. <laughs> it's pretty much all on the south. And they're in Northern California, though, so that'd make it a little bit difficult. But pretty much all, like, we got San Antonio in there. We've got Temple is in Jert. No, Temple's in Philadelphia. Temple's in Philadelphia. We got SMU. We got Houston in there. Or Dallas, sorry. We got Rice in there. North Texas. So we got some, like, closer teams in the a- ACC. When your closest team in the ACC, is it Louisville? Is that your closest team? Is Boston College closer? I know Boston College would be more north, so it'd be a more straight shot, I guess. But with that, with Syracuse? I don't know. Either way, you're not getting any really close ones there. We're in fun times in college football. That's that's for damn sure. That's for damn sure. We're in really fun times. But I think that's all we're going to do for today's episode of the Logan Blackman Show. I don't really think I have anything else to really... Oh, the, the college football coaches poll came out. I forgot about that. College football coaches poll, which is always fun to see how this thing looks out. So the coaches poll, as of right now, this got released like a few days ago, if not yesterday is Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, USC, Penn State, Florida State, Clemson, Tennessee, Washington, Texas, Notre Dame, Utah, Oregon, TCU, Kansas State, Oregon State, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Ole Miss. Then we get crazy. We got Tulane, Texas Tech, and Texas A&M. Texas A&M will always find themselves in a ranking. Always find themselves in a ranking. No matter what they did the previous season, they will always, always be in a ranking for the top 25. Same with Tennessee. Same with Notre Dame. Same with Texas. Don't matter. Now, do I think those three schools that we just mentioned, Notre Dame, Texas, and Tennessee, do I think they're deserving their spots? Yeah, I think they're going to be fun teams this year. Tennessee lost a few key pieces last year, but Joe Milton looks to be having fun this offseason. He can throw a ball 90 yards, apparently. Throw a ball over the mountains over there. So we'll see. I'm excited to see what Tennessee can do this year. Georgia being number one, not surprised that they're reigning national champions. Makes sense. Alabama to be number three. That be my might be my biggest issue because I don't think Alabama's the third best team in the country right now. I don't think Alabama's gonna for Alabama standards, I don't think Alabama's gonna be Alabama, if that makes sense. And LSU being five, sure. I'm excited to see what LSU can do this year. USC being six, yeah. Penn State's got a high expectations this year. Florida State's got high expectations this year. Washington's got some decent expectations here. TCU, we'll see how they do. If I had to predict a team to completely fall out flat on their face in this top 25, just completely suck and maybe be out of the rankings by week three, I would probably guess like... would it be? Probably TCU. Probably TCU. I don't know what they're supposed to... I don't know how good they're supposed to be this year, to be 100% honest with you. Play Colorado week one. Colorado comes in with Deion Sanders with like their 800 recruits coming in. Iowa received votes. They received 169 votes. They came in at 26 and we're doing that. Did Iowa State receive any votes? I would be kind of surprised they did, but I you never know. There's some weird teams that received it. Toledo received votes. So like there, there could be a chance that Iowa State received votes. They did not. There's not really a lot of expectations with Iowa State this year. Every Iowa State fan I've talked to is relatively like melancholy going into this season. So the Iowa State game is not going to be as fun because, you know, one side's definitely expensive. So it'd be fun for Iowa State if they win because they're going in with zero expectations. They'd be going in that game 0-1, losing to UNI week one. So who knows, but that game just got sold out officially. I just saw that a little bit ago. Officially got sold out, but yeah, I think that's all I've got for you today. Messi, 
you know, we don't really need to talk about everything that happened in that game, but he scored a goal again early, scored the uh, game time free kick in like the 87th minute or something, won his first penalty shootout at club level. Fun stuff. Fun, fun stuff. Of the Women's World Cup, we have had more knock of the knockout stage. The next round is completely set. So we can go over some of the matchups in there. So we can compare. We had France beating Morocco 4 nothing. We I think we predicted that one. We can go over some of the games we predicted in here as well. What games did we say would happen? So we had England beating Nigeria. Or did that one already happen? England beat Nigeria. I think that was England beating Nigeria. We had that one. Australia beating Denmark. I think we had that one. I think we might have said Jamaica beating Colombia. I think we might have said that one. And then we had France beating Morocco. So now the quarterfinal matchup, we got Spain-Netherlands, which is an insane matchup. Insane matchup. It's a rematch of the 2010 final between the men's. It's a rematch of the 2014 group stage. So right now, for the men's side, we're 1-1 to in major tournaments. That I can remember. Maybe I'm forgetting a game that, I, that was in there. But Spain won the World Cup final. Netherlands won the group stage. Now it's time for Spain women versus the Netherlands women to battle it out here. Probably I lean towards Spain, but those games aren't taking place the 11th, so they got time to we got time to talk about those. But I probably lean Spain, Japan, Sweden. I'd love to go with the home country, but you know Japan probably win that one. Australia, France. I, I'm gonna ah probably France, probably France, England, Colombia. Probably say England. It close. That one's gonna be the closest game. I know France, Australia is the best game. Ah, they're all they're all really good games. They're all really good matchups. But that'd be my prediction. That'd be my prediction. I'll go Spain, Japan, France, England. Maybe uh, Australia, France is a tough one. That's a toss-up game, but I'm going to go with France. Do I, though? Do I want to go with France? Go with the hometown pride or home country pride of Australia? Home continent pride of Australia? Might go Australia. Who knows? But we got, again, we got time to talk about that. But that's all I've got for you today. Certainly hope you enjoyed. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. I'll try to be better next time. And if you would, make sure you follow Logan Blatt. I'm sure every single form of social media that we talked about earlier. And I will see you guys later. Peace.